This is Power Athlete Radio. With your hosts, Denny Kaye, Professor Booty, and the Luke Summers. And now, toes forward, hips locked, shoulders set, and retract those scapulas. It's time for some knowledge bombs. This week, we welcome athlete, author, and Catalyst Athletics coach, Greg Everett. This well-known figure in the world of strength and conditioning believes that Olympic weightlifting has changed dramatically, both to the benefit of the popularity, but to the detriment of old-school ethics. As someone who evolved into the sport well before social media, Greg waxes nostalgic on his past experience of embracing weightlifting as a lifestyle instead of an accessory. From the garage of Mike Bergener to his own beautiful facility, Greg talks about how he has changed with the sport to make opportunities for himself. Although not every aspect of the business is pleasurable, he is steadfast in his training principles and unapologetically opinionated. Discover why he thinks so many athletes get caught up in the trap of training like most elite athletes in the world and why it's not only suboptimal, it can also be counterproductive. John and Greg catch up on all things Olympic weightlifting and unravel the mysteries of the internet in an hour's time. This is episode 127. What's happening, Power Athlete Nation? Welcome to another episode of Power Athlete Radio. This is Denny. I'm joined with Tex, John, and Luke. And today our guest is the founder of Catalyst Athletics, author, filmmaker, comedian, life coach. Uh, what, what else am I missing, Greg? Uh, uh, super charming, good looking. Uh, <laughs> super charming, good looking, Mr. Greg Uh You forgot pleasant. Greg, Greg is also one of the most pleasant people I've ever been around. That's really I, the, you know, the I, word I, that I comes guess... to mind. <laughs> I got that feeling right away when we were talking off air. I mean, it's, this guy has got to be one of the most pleasant individuals. Yeah. Um, uh, there's um, so uh, uh, Greg and I are on like this ongoing uh, text message chain of information, and uh, about once, uh, you know, like like pretty funny. Whenever it comes through, Greg usually has something that I I have to put the phone down and laugh. So also one of the funnier <laughs> people I know. So I we, my best. that's a compliment coming from you. No, it is. I mean, we, we have uh, I mean, well, how long would you say that uh, text message chain we've been on? It's probably about four years we've been going uh, on now. Yeah, it's so. got to be easily. Yeah. There's there's just so much material. <laughs> there's never an absence of funny shit going on in the world of uh, of training and strength conditioning and so, writing uh, and the and the internet. All according the to the show template, we're just gonna open that text message, scroll to the beginning, and you guys, <laughs> <laughs> you guys are gonna read them off and then describe Name every picture. Yeah, uh, no question of the entertainment value, but that, uh, that might prove to be a bad idea. Uh, yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> Why well, you guys talk it's, shit on me? It's it's usually like a um like a picture or something like screen captured, and then like it, that that's all that'll come through, and then like ten minutes later it'll just be like, what the fuck did I just read? What the <laughs> fuck? You know? Just a barrage of incredibly insightful commentary. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a lot of stuff to laugh about, you know. Um, 
in this uh, you know day in the internet where you can pretty much fabricate whoever you want to be and you can cultivate any image you want regardless of whether it's true or not. You just basically have whatever you know uh, you know as long as the URL is available uh, <laughs> and you can like go through and like pick out these kind of like uh, esoteric innocuous like kind of words that, that kind of like relate to different things like especially Olympic weightlifting. You too can be a Olympic weightlifting superhero. Isn't, I mean, That's isn't the great thing about esoteric words is that if someone doesn't understand it, the natural uh, presumption is that they're just not smart enough. And, and or they're the not enough. The owner of the world, word just knows so much more. There must well, be more to it. Well, well or, or they're, not in, in, they're not in the cool kids circle. So, like, if you don't know, like, you know, what, um, I don't know. Dude, if, if you don't know, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> and if you can't afford a big man, what is it? If you don't know a big man, I'm not going to afford it. Uh, yes. Well, thank you for uh, thanks for carving out a a uh, few minutes of your extremely busy time and uh, basically getting on here and bullshitting, which our power athlete radio, which should be really just called talking shit on the radio. So, <laughs> hey, that's what I do most of my day. Nice. We we try to put out some information that people can learn stuff from, though. I mean, we we put a valiant effort towards that. <laughs> Well, uh, it, it's, it's like I, I tell my lifters, I don't give a fuck about how hard you're trying. I just want to see results. Yeah, well, you know. Uh, Efforts assumed. Yeah, like, is an effort just <laughs> like fucking, yeah, I mean, uh, like, it's a hard deal. People are like, and, you know, we taught seminars and people are like, oh, but I'm trying as hard as I can. I'm like, ah, like, trying doesn't fucking impress me. Like, everybody tries. Like, show me that you're able to do these things. And, uh, you know, I, I I can't remember what age do you stop getting like a good like a medal or a pat on the head for just trying hard. I think like well, 40s or 50s. 40 or 50. <laughs> well, I, I I remember when we were pretty young, like there was like, oh, you played hard today, even though you lost, and like you know, here's your orange slice. Spirit of the yeah. game. And, you know, and then then you were like so stoked because you get to eat orange slices, like a hundred of them after the game, and maybe get a Gatorade. But uh, and then I remember all of a sudden when it was like, yeah, you guys sucked. But like there there was like no real. Discussion anymore about trying hard. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that was probably the uh, twelve to fourteen year old age range where that switch happens. Well, which, but I mean, that, which seems that, fair. Well, uh, Greg, we're about the same age, so I mean, that was probably in like the eighties, you know, like maybe like the early eighties, mid eighties. I want to say maybe when I was about ten years old. Like I think like that was like all of a sudden once I got like eleven or twelve, that all that all that shit stopped. It was like you're good, you suck, go sit on the bench. Yeah, I, I think I was fortunate to have, like, I mean, I played all the typical sports as a kid, uh, which is, you know, the, the basis of my incredible athleticism. But uh, I, I think I was fortunate enough to have coaches generally who were very straightforward and honest and didn't coddle anybody, regardless of age. So I'm very grateful for that. So well, before we get going, why don't we do, like, what if there is somebody? What if there's somebody who doesn't know who Greg Everett is? Should oh, we do like I, I think hey, we should, we should talk about it. need to get off this radio show right now. <laughs> yeah, we, so you shut should, up if you stop. We should talk about uh, we should talk we should talk about great uh, Greg Everett the uh, but let's let's talk about his history. Let's talk about great Greg Everett the author. Okay. Uh, the the filmmaker, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. crossfitter. Is this the Genesis and then, story? And then the Olympic uh, and then the Olympic weightlifter and then the Olympic weightlifting coach and then the Olympic weightlifter again. Oh. Wow. It's, it sounds exhausting. Well, give me the five-minute version. <laughs> uh, okay, five-minute version. Uh, I'll give you the elevator pitch, right? Is that what it's still called? Uh, yeah. 
I think that's only 10 seconds though, so we'll we'll go fast. So, uh, like I said, did a, did a pretty much the whole range of of the typical American kids sports growing up. Uh, ended up more as a skateboarder, and I rode competitive bike trials. Uh, you know, kind of through high school, a uh, little bit into that college range on the bike, but at that point, it's too much damage occurs when you when you fuck up. Um, the I, I kind of was self-taught with the Olympic lifts uh, in a very rudimentary fashion at at some point in high school. You know, always had been involved in strength training, barbell training in particular. Um, wasn't necessarily particularly strong, but I could figure things out to a degree. And uh, you know, what's most frustrating at this point in my life is this is of course pre-internet era, so you had to actually go out of your way to to find things. Um, it turns out that I lived about an hour away from uh, Jim Schmitz, who's you know one of the most accomplished weightlifting coaches in the, the U.S. Uh, and had I known that as a kid, I probably would have found a way to um, guilt my parents into taking me up there at some point. But anyway, fast forward uh, to age of, I don't know, 20, 21 or something like that, and I was uh, living in Chico, California. Uh, which happened to be where the legendary Rob Wolf had just relocated to from uh, Seattle after realizing that living in Seattle was going to make him blow his brains out because of the cloudy weather. Um, and so uh, just through a weird series of coincidences, I ended up um, training at the gym. He was sharing space with uh, uh, like a BJJ Muay Thai guy. And uh, he invited me to come train with them. And I kind of looked at what they were doing, which was uh, really early stage CrossFit, so it, it struck me as kind of goofy, um, but at the same time kind of appealing because it was a lot of just, you know, athletic uh, movements, and I was like, okay, I'll, I'll do this. You know, I had the uh, the power rack in, in my garage and kind of was doing that on my own, but um, I, I figured I'd try something different, and that was a chance to kind of get back into uh have a chance to, to do weightlifting again, have a, a facility where I could drop weights and, and you know, had bars that spin and whatnot. Um, and then shortly thereafter, I ended up moving down to Southern California to train under uh, Mike Bergner, who was my first true weightlifting coach and, and really my mentor as uh, kind of a, a future weightlifting coach. So um, moved back up to the Bay Area where I'm from uh, with my uh, – well, at that time, was not my wife, but my now wife, Amy, and we opened the facility that we're currently in now in uh, Sunnyvale. That's amazing. Right. Well, great show. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's Thanks grab some lunch. Yeah, that's great. Big gulps, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> orange whip, orange whip, three orange whips. Uh, all right, well, let's let, let's get into some good stuff. Um, and uh, the question we were talking about a little offline, why is it that, in your perception, something as, you know, like repetitive movement pattern, like snatch, clean, and jerk, which is really you know, two movements that you compete in that also happen to be what you're training, uh, have caused so much debate and have so many experts speaking different things. It just seems that, you know, when you have something like, you know, snatch, clean, and jerk, why is it that there's so many different variations? Is it is it uh, anthropometrical ratios of lifters? Is it coaches? Is it this? I mean, it's like every time I turn around, or is it all bullshit? Uh, well, it's largely bullshit, um, but I, I think it's you have to recognize that this is largely uh, exclusive to the U.S. or you know, countries in similar uh, situations with regard to the sport of weightlifting. 
this kind of stuff, discussion and argument and nonsense, really doesn't occur to my knowledge in uh, countries that have established successful Olympic weightlifting programs. Um, it's and I think the the first of all the origin of it here is the general lack of information from reputable sources. In other words, uh, you don't have like you do in Russia or China coaches literally with PhDs in weightlifting. Uh, you know, the closest you can get here is a you know kinesiology degree or an exercise phys degree, which have it's it's worse than not having anything to do with weightlifting. It's actually it kind of sets you back from understanding weightlifting. You know, just the the the, the bases of of kind of those uh, educational tracks. But in any case, there's that lack of of information from reputable sources, which kind of opens the the floodgates for a lot of. Uh, opinions rather than facts or uh, you know experiences uh, because they're they're so lacking so and then uh, to to kind of exacerbate that problem you have a lack of uh, truly experienced knowledgeable people um, to kind of quash that sort of shit but you know by coming in and getting involved and saying nope this is how it is and it's not that they don't necessarily exist in the U.S. It's that they tend to be people who really have no interest in getting involved in, uh, you know, arguments on the Internet. And I wish I could say that I belong to that group um, as much as possible. I try to stay out of it. But, of course, you know, if you spend more than five minutes a day on the Internet, which I have to do because that's kind of uh, where my business resides most of the time, uh, you're going to get sucked into that stuff from time to time. but it, it, So I, I think it's that combination of lack of information and then a lack of uh, kind of the authority of genuine experts kind of keeping it under control. Sorry, Greg. Well, yeah, we struggle. We struggle with the same sh type of shit, and it's, I don't think it's lack of information. It's, it's too much fucking information, too much static, and an uninformed consumer base just looking, like, looking up to the fucking sky and saying, okay, which star do I follow? You know, right. unable to find that north star. Well, no, I mean, and, and uh, I think the, the harder thing you run into is, uh, and Luke hits it on the head, there's so much information that and people don't really have the ability to disseminate it because they don't really have the background to really understand it, so they kind of go to who are their kind of gurus, for example, and then, you know, so-and-so says this, and then what they do is they take that information and they run back to this person and they ask them, and, and it's like, at the end of the day, it's fucking all bullshit. And, um, yeah. you know, it's kind of like uh, my favorite is at least three times a week I get somebody forward me something from T Nation uh, <laughs> about, like, you know, and, uh, you know, little they know that T Nation is a supplement company, and their whole goal is to get you to come to their site and stay on, long, on their site long enough that actually read the article where they push the supplements at the end and then they, you get to buy the supplements. Right. So all of that is just a clickbait to get you to buy supplements. It's, uh, you know, it's, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it, you know, it's fucking nonsense. And they, but they pay people out the ass. They have some good writers. They have some good information. But, like, part of their thing is to start controversy to get people to talk about their stuff. And so at least, like, you know, a couple times a week I get something and I'm like, dude, it's not as complicated. People are re-spinning the same shit over and over again in an effort to try to get you all stirred up so you think that this is what you have to do. It's right. like, relax. Stay and, the course. And Stay the medium to get your information out is shared. I mean, it's basically social media now, right? So yeah. the experts in the fucking Jamokes all share the same medium. It's, it's cheap. It's easy. 
uh, and for you to push information out. And really, it, it's just self-marketing. Like you're not. Maybe you believe it. Maybe you don't. But you're just trying to like, like you said, clickbait is is a great example of that shit. Like, uh, and I fucking hate it when I, I want to write a solid blog and I gotta use some douchebag title like fucking this trick, you know, will kill you or <laughs> won't kill you if you do it right. You know, like yeah, but that's the thing is you, you have to, at some point you have to make the decision on whether or not you want to be a content creator or a marketer. And yeah, there's going to be overlap in this day and age of, of internet uh, media. But the fact is, is you have to be one over the other. And if you're going to be a content creator, first and foremost, you have to accept the fact that you're going to, not be making as much money as you could, but what you'll get is the respect of the true experts and of the people you actually help. If you're going to be a marketer, you're going to have to accept the fact that uh, you know the true experts are going to think you're douchebags, um, and eventually that's probably going to come out and bite you in the ass. But you will make a bunch of money really quickly. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's a frustrating thing, you know, to be stuck in that position, but. I would much rather be able to respect myself and not become a millionaire, um, as long as I can support my family. That is, and uh, you know, and just sit here with people like you and and complain about everyone else. <laughs> is that kind of like uh, one of the one of the messages you wanted to get across in uh, in your film, American Weightlifting? You know, just about like staying true to the sport, not like you know, getting all gimmicky and. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the one of the big pushes for that movie was I wanted to uh, kind of record a little history because in the last couple years that history is being really rapidly erased, um, you know, by all these new people coming in who've never been steeped in the culture. They've never had that experience of actually genuinely being a weightlifter in a weightlifting gym under a weightlifting coach. Um, and, I, you know, I, I, I kind of hesitate to, to put it this way because I don't mean to be insulting the people who just want to try weightlifting and get involved and think it's fun. That's fantastic. I want to encourage that. But there's a big difference between, um, you know, a, a, a weightlifter who came up in a weightlifting gym versus someone who, uh, is doing weightlifting in a CrossFit gym, for example, and that's of course the the most common situation now. You you completely miss out on that environment and that culture, um, and a lot of just the the kind of subtleties and intangibles that you can only get in that true weightlifting atmosphere. And that stuff's being lost, um, and people are kind of just resorting to uh, learning about the sport in in a more superficial kind of technical sort of way rather than as, uh, you know, a, a true lifestyle. And, you know, I, I guarantee people are going to call me elitist for saying shit like that, but you know what? It, it's their fucking loss. It, like, if they can't really understand what the problem with that is, then I don't know what to do to help them. Um, and so I, and I wanted to really recognize these American coaches who, by and large, are unknown. Uh, which is unfortunate because the things they've accomplished are huge. Uh, we talked before the show started about Jim Schmitz. I think he's coached 10 Olympians. That's more than any other American coach out there. Certainly more um, than me. I've coached uh, precisely zero Olympians, um, and uh, you know, countless you know world championship level lifters, you know, national champions, American record holders. Um, you know, and all these all these coaches I included in that movie were included for very good reasons. They have 
made really significant contributions to the sport of weightlifting in the U.S. and arguably internationally to some extent. Um, and I wanted to make sure that those guys were celebrated and they were recognized, and that was kind of uh, recorded permanently in some way before it, it just got completely erased by the revisionist history that's you know being written right now on Instagram. No, you know what? It, it reminds me of, uh, or when you were saying that, I was thinking about a, um, when I went, I went to like a strength symposium a couple years ago, and they brought in Tommy Kono to speak, and and he was talking about like in the you know the fifties or something about how he he hitchhiked to get to wherever the Olympics were that year, and then competes, wins a medal, and then hitchhikes back home. You yeah, know, I, th- like I think he pure, was in the army at that time too. Yeah, you know, he like he was training in some like dirt floor basement. I mean, just just like the passion and the love for that sport and like what uh, you you hear a story like that and you're like, man, you know, like I'm kind of old school and some of the training I like to do, and it, you know, I, I'm glad you put out that movie and it and I can appreciate hearing stories like that from somebody like him, and uh, this so I can kind of like have some of that history. To uh, you know, to the sport of weightlifting. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's uh it's really sad. It's really frustrating to kind of see, um, you know, what's happened, uh, kind of to the culture of weightlifting because it's gotten so diluted. And it's, yes, it's fantastic that it's growing so quickly and growing so much in the U.S. Of course, I'm not going to argue with that. It, it helps keep uh, me, you know, in a house and wearing clothes and eating food. Um, but it, that, that doesn't mean I have to accept and be happy about, uh, you know, the unnecessary changes to the culture and to the mindset. And like you said, there, there's kind of a, um, increasing diminishment of that, uh, I guess what a lot of people would call old school attitude, which to me is just an attitude of, of being hardworking, kind of keeping your mouth shut respecting the people who've come before you and not being an asshole, uh, which, uh, I mean, I don't know. Those all seem pretty great to me. I, I would love it if more people would embrace those things. Yeah. Yeah. And don't like, don't pretend to be something that you're not, you know, I mean, yeah, just because I had a guy, I just have to vent on this real quick. Um, and it's, it's fairly germane to the conversation, but, uh, I, I made some posts the other day, and that's one of the frustrating things. You can post something in in clearly worded English, and you're going to get interpretations that range from a little bit off to fucking ridiculous. But um, I posted something about basically, you know, fraudulent misrepresentation of of yourself on the internet as a coach uh, when you don't even coach any athletes, for example. Uh, and some guy said, oh, yeah, you know, I, I love what you do and all, but you can't publish all this information and then expect people not to steal it from you. And, like, that just struck me on so many levels uh, as uh, just insane. I mean, so basically he was telling me that it's my own fault for publishing information um, that it's being plagiarized, which wasn't the, – the comment wasn't even about people plagiarizing me and, and anyone else, which happens all the time, but – to have someone tell you that you can't put information out there and then not expect people to give credit for it, it's like, no. I mean, that's that's what there's – a, there's a whole system of citation that exists from multiple organizations for exactly this purpose. 
uh, you know, to give credit to information that's been developed by other people's in your own work. It's not that fucking confusing. It kind of reminds me of the girl that goes out to the bar who dresses up a little bit, has a drink, and then something bad happens to her, and they're like, well, you know, she wanted to get raped. Look the way she was dressed. You're like, come on, dude. Like, yeah. is, that really, is that really how you're thinking? So, like, by actually putting together good information to put out and not only kind of help yourself but to help other people in this kind of constant fight to educate, but uh, now if it gets stolen, it gets pinched, or if this idea gets taken, then it's your fault for putting it out there. Um, yeah. I, I mean, get your head around uh, that one. Well, we deal with this a little bit in that um, the uh, it seems as if uh, – the information you put on the internet uh, leads to such massive butthurt. Uh, it's like I, I can't even describe it. Like, um, for example, I, I called somebody out on something, and uh, the guy was, like, so fucking butthurt by it. And I, and I even said to the guy, if we were in person, you wouldn't even take this personally. You would listen to me. I would tell you. You'd shake your head, and we'd go on. But you're making this so much of a bigger fucking situation because the – uh, the sensitivity level and the amount of butthurt on the internet is so fucking high. Like, I, it just blows my fucking did mind. You use, did you use bro? Because you got to use bro to make it. <laughs> or bro. Oh, bro. Uh, oh, I'm not your fucking bro. You don't know uh, me if you don't know me. Yeah, but it, it's, it, it was pretty interesting. And, like, finally I just fucking, like, let it go. But I'm like, dude, the amount. Like, I, I don't know when. I mean, it, it's almost like you, you would almost think that the internet would almost make people less sensitive and, like, more callous and, like, kind of just very, very cold. Uh, but, no, I, I believe the Internet allows people to voice their inner sensitivity with with this, like, cocoon and this shield mm -hmm. of not getting fucking kicked in the balls or punched in the face. It amplifies well, that's, the that's what it is, is, is the social mediums have uh, basically just proven what a lot of us suspected for years, that people, by and large, are just obnoxious fucking assholes and the only reason they don't act like that in real life is because they don't want to be picking up their teeth off the ground. Which is a sad comment on the state of the fucking world, but I'm also a really cynical curmudgeon. Yeah, I mean, uh, they were fun. So, Greg, I want to go back to something maybe uh, we can get, get some context. One thing that, you know, John arms all of us when we go out on our seminars. Uh, I mean, we get the same fucking pushback. Uh, if there is going to be pushback, there's only like a handful of things that we get popped on, and we talk about using O-lifts and like, hey, we're not coaching O-lifters, you know, and. Uh, oh, you talking about like how we like because we only teach then, the power movements. Yeah, and, and, and so you, like, and the, you know, you every once in a while somebody. <laughs> every well, once well, in a while somebody stands up and you know they're like, hey, I'm a I'm a weightlifter, and uh, this isn't how my coach taught me, yeah. and then we always like back them down. Whoa, 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 whoa! Listen, listen. There's golfers. And then there's golfers, and this is one of John's no, things. No, 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 like, no, 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 you fucked it up. You fucked it up. <laughs> so, 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 Fred, so, so, so Fred Tedeschi, who is our strength, or who is our head trainer at Cal, was also the trainer at the uh, Chicago Bulls, and he was like with Jordan and all those guys. Oh, you've never heard of him? No. Is Chicago a big uh, sports city? Yeah, they yeah. do uh, mostly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what are you sweeping the ice? with Phil Jackson and Mike Ditka, I'd be pretty fucking psyched. So Fred was the, the head trainer and uh, we, we had to go play in this charity golf thing and uh, uh, like fucking Fred goes out there and he's like a scratch golfer and like we're out there just fucking hacking it up and I see him playing. I'm like, I'm like, 
I was like, Fred, I, uh, I, I didn't know you were, you know, so, so good. And he, he kind of looked at me. He said, there's two types of people in this world. There's golfers and there's people that play golf. I'm a golfer. <laughs> and so, it was the most arrogant thing I've ever fucking heard, but I've extrapolated <laughs> like there's two types of people in this world. There's Olympic weightlifters and there's people that Olympic weightlift. Absolutely. And, uh, uh, you know, very so, few people are Olympic weightlifters. So to, to wind it back, thanks, John, for, for you know, putting me in my place. Uh, so how, you know, and we were talking about it a few minutes ago, how would you compare and contrast, uh, for lack of a better term, the life cycle of a weightlifter, someone who's brought up grassroots to um, people who Olympic weightlift and, and are almost uninformed or delusional about their status, much like there's golfers and there are those who play golf? Huh. Well, I mean, the big thing with weightlifting is that it is a relatively obscure, uh, you know, small sport in this country at least. But typically what I would suggest is that a weightlifter is going to come up from a young age where they are fairly impressionable. Um, and even if they're obstinate little shits, like most people at that age are, they're at least receptive to the idea, the possibility that they don't know everything. Um, and that, and they are working with a coach who they respect. Doesn't mean they never argue with them and they never have any friction with them, but they respect first and foremost that they will listen to, um, that they will, you know, genuinely uh, believe in what that coach is having them do. And, you know, they will follow it to the letter and, and they develop this, um, this sense of, of commitment to not only this physical activity, but to the lifestyle that surrounds it. In other words, um, you know, being, it's just like the, the golfer story that uh, John corrected for you. Um, the, uh, you know, a weight, being a weightlifter requires literally constructing your life around the sport of weightlifting. In other words, um, you know, your training and your restoration is the priority in your life. It doesn't mean you don't have other things going on, um, but it means you make those other things work around weightlifting rather than trying to fit weightlifting around other things. Uh, you know, you're not going out on Friday, Saturday night, or Wednesday, Thursday, Monday, Tuesday night. Um, you know, you're not uh, going hiking with your buddies on on Sunday because it's sunny out. You're at home you know, doing contrast or, you know, getting massage or whatever, whatever else is going on. Uh, you know, anything that supports that training, someone who does weightlifting. And I just will preface this by saying there's nothing wrong with this. You're not a bad person. You just have different goals and priorities. Uh, someone who just does weightlifting is the opposite where they're going to fit weightlifting in where it's convenient for them. They're going to kind of do it, um, as long as it's convenient and it's enjoyable and it's entertaining uh, to them. And for a lot of people, that's a really brief period of time. Or it's a longer period of time because the frequency with which they do it is so low. Um, you know, the, the guys who will do a snatch workout once a month or so. And then, you know, email me and wonder why they're not getting any better. Um, you know, whereas the, the weightlifter, it's you you live it. That's, that's what matters to you most. And, and again, that's kind of what's missing from this new um, kind of internet breed of experts is that they've never had that experience. They've, they've kind of been looking in through the window um, and picking up pieces here and there and trying to reassemble them into the whole and, and they're missing too much of 
of the glue that kind of holds that stuff together. And I mean, if that's not an incredible metaphor for you, I don't know. I can't. I can't think of that. Would you say then at the end of that life cycle, and that, you know, this is also maybe something else to. But do. I mean, it's. Oh yeah, I, actually, yeah. I, I, okay, that lifestyle comment reminds me of a big point that I missed, and that is. It, it goes back to kind of the idea of, of craftsmen of all kind, you know, whether it's a carpenter or, or whatever. Um, you know, the, the, the best craftsmen in the world have always uh, learned from the master craftsmen that they apprenticed under. In other words, they, they had a mentor that they worked under, genuinely worked under, not sent a few emails to asking like, okay, well, how do I make a dove joint? You know, whatever, whatever the case is. Um, and so they, they really lived that lifestyle and they saw how it worked by someone who, you know, truly knew what they were doing and was truly 100% immersed in it. Um, and then they themselves were immersed in that in that life. And, and that's how that stuff gets passed on coach to coach and, uh, you know, coach to athlete. And then typically what you're going to see is, you know, a true weightlifter is going to remain involved in the sport indefinitely, whether they become coaches or you know officials or in some way they're going to remain involved in the sport rather than having this kind of passing interest uh, for a year or two and then move on to the next thing. That's kind of, that was kind of what I was going to get to. It's like I guess if you as you immerse yourself in that lifestyle, you will gravitate towards a mentor who will proverbially pass a torch or and and almost anchor you into that lifestyle. Well, it, yeah. It really goes with uh, any type of like successful mastery of uh, of sport. I mean, you look at like the best people in the world. I mean, they just don't do it on occasion. They do it every day. It's all they do. If you want to run in the Olympics, you go to the track seven days a week, and everything you're doing is going to that goal. I mean, same stuff for us. I mean, um, you know, with my previous life. I mean, everything that I did. I mean, it was such a weird thing when I retired. When I, I and I, I can probably never told anybody this, but like, I ended up uh, getting injured. And, like, I came home, had surgery, and I remember, like, when I made the decision to retire, I just kind of, like, laid in bed. You know, I'd always get up, at like, pretty early and go train. I just kind of laid in bed till like, 10 or 11 and slept in. And I was like, what am I going to do today? And I was like, nothing. There's nothing I have to do. Because for my entire life, every single thing that I did in my life was moving towards a singular goal of athletic performance. It was every meal. It was every site. It was everything. It literally is, it, it drives you in every way, and then all of a sudden it ends. And, like, a lot of guys just go to the bar and get fucked up. They go buy a pound of blow and a bunch of hookers, and they just fucking blow it all. And then they fucking are like, oh, fuck, what did I do? Because they don't know how to cope with it. got to go weightlift. Well, and I think, like, I mean, you know this obviously way better than I do, but I think people don't understand that, you know, with football is it's not just, you know, field time, game time. I mean, you guys are sitting there studying playbooks, having team meetings, you know, all these, it's, it's a, your whole life is consumed by that stuff. It's yeah. not just showing up on Thursday and Sunday to, to have a game and then you go home and fuck around the rest of the week. No, I, I mean, it's a, it's a full-time commitment and like you live it. Um, I remember one of the, the greatest moments of my life was all of a sudden after you like, well, you know, uh, the playoff ends and like, you know, you either lose, you win that last game and they call you in on Monday for that final meeting and they have like the exit meeting. And I always remember the coach was like, you guys have been pretty regimented. Like, don't go crazy. I'm going to let you guys go, but, like, I don't want to see anybody doing burnouts out of the parking lot. I, 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 I don't need a helicopter flying over for, for fucking pickups to take you to the – just, like, ease it in. And literally, dude, they'd be like, you guys free. And you would watch grown men sprint out of the building like fucking Starsky and Hutch over the hood into their car going sideways. Just like – and I'm like, where are you guys going? Home? I just, I, I just want to get there as fast as I can. And it's like, oh. Yeah. Um, 
you know, some something uh, uh, that is always uh, been like the thing I always loved about Olympic weightlifting uh, is uh, you know playing football, and, and I you know we always used it, and part of the reason, and I we'll, we'll get into it a little bit later, but you know Luke made a, alluded to it, like we teach power movements at our seminar because I don't necessarily. Uh, believe that I should have to be able to teach the full variances of the lift for people that are using it for athletic training. But uh, the thing that I always really enjoy, especially about uh, Olympic weightlifting, and this goes back, um, my strength coach in college was a guy named Todd Rice, and Todd had uh, gone over to the Eastern Bloc, had been to Russia and all over in Bulgaria, and had actually gone over and apprenticed under some of those coaches and brought us back all these VHS tapes of all these guys kind of training. And the thing that always blew me away and the way that I know I'm actually watching um, actual Olympic weightlifters training in a facility for Olympic weightlifters is as everybody is, as each person is lifting, everybody is sitting around like with the same fucking distraught look on their face where it looks like <laughs> somebody has fucking removed my soul, I'm completely fucking destroyed, and they're just swat, usually sitting on like a bench with their forearms on their knees just kind of staring like at the person. And like yeah. they celebrate with like the wins and the losses. And like the coolest part about these videos that Rice brought us back is, I mean, these dudes were, like, literally sitting in the back in, like, a squatted position smoking cigarettes, like, laughing and, and joking, and then the guy would get up, and he'd put it out with this Olympic shoe, go over, and the guy would be wearing, like, no shirt, no socks, no underwear, just, like, a, pet, a pair of uh, sweatpants and holy shoes, and the dude would come in and, like, you know, snatch, like, 170 kilos, like, it's nothing, and it uh, it just, it, it, it was, like, you know, seeing those training halls and just seeing everybody training at the same time, going around, and, like, you know, like, because they live and they train with these guys in such a... Uh, intense manner. It's like they live and die with each and every lift. And I think like that's how you can, whenever I'm watching anything or any clip on the internet, I can always tell whether or not it's like real Olympic lifting or this like made for TV version of Olympic lifting that we get to see so much on Instagram and the internet. And yeah. uh, it's always like how big the group is, the look on people's faces, what's on the bar, the amount of fucking chalk on the floor. I mean, just like the sweat on people. And it's just like you get to see a little bit of that. So that's always cool for me. Yeah, I mean, I have by far one of the nicest uh, weightlifting facilities in the country. I mean, easily. And honestly, I mean, daily, I kind of wish, like, man, I kind of would love to close this place down and go back to training in a garage like I did at Mike Bergner's house. Um, because to me, that was that really encapsulated uh, everything that weightlifting is truly about to me, and, and you know, which is... Uh, the facility didn't really matter. The equipment didn't matter so much as long as you had enough weights, you had a bar that spun reasonably well, um, and you had a relatively flat surface to lift on, you were fine. Uh, you know, what mattered was how much you loved it, how much you were willing to put yourself through to make, you know, tiny amounts of measurable progress over long periods of time with, with you know, no one watching. Um, I mean, when I started, it was the internet was still relatively young, you know, Instagram didn't exist, Twitter didn't exist, Facebook didn't exist, um, and, and so there wasn't even the opportunity to be like, all right, I'm going to post every single lift I do today, um, uh, preferably get some nice butt shots, um, you know, take pictures of my new fancy socks, you know, whatever the case is, it was, you're here to train, shut your fucking mouth and do the work. And then if you put in that work and you really truly prove that you are dedicated to this, then maybe a few years down the line, you might get some recognition. Oh, uh, the other one is um, you can only spot Olympic weightlifters by how disgusting their shoes are. So that yeah. was something like I had one pair of shoes and had them for like six years. And I remember like 
I got a new pair, and I carried with them. I carried them around in my bag for like two years before I finally was like, man, okay, I got to retire these and put these new ones in. And like I remember seeing like a dude. Uh, we had a guy that played football with us in, in college, a guy named Chris Marie, and he was uh, a he was from he was from France, and he was an Olympic weightlifter from France, and he came over and came to Berkeley and decided to try out for the football team. And the dude was uh, fucking beyond strong, but uh, his Olympic weightlifting shoes he had duct taped them together. Yeah. So like, oh, and I like, did. I competed in the last like, nationals with athletic tape holding the uh, the toes of my, the the soles of my shoes on because they were falling off. You know, the first four inches was completely separated from the. But that superstition, it's like that superstition and being like, oh, dude, I I can't retire these things. My best lips have been in these shoes. There's no way I'm mad if I can retire these things. Which is like the same shit in football. Like, uh, I, I played with guys that wanted brand new shoes every game. I wore two pairs of shoes the entire season. And I remember, like, the end of the year, they were like, hey, you're going to have to, like, do something with those. I'm like, don't touch my fucking <laughs> shoes. And they're like, yeah. but they're broken down. I'm like, no, 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 dude. They're just where I like them. I'll get two new ones next year. And, like, yeah, it's exactly. always interesting when you go in and people are like, oh, you know, I have 27 fucking Nike Romolos and, and every color to match my outfit for the day. I'm like, oh, God, fuck you. Yeah, buy a snowmobile. <laughs> That's very Don Johnson, Marvel, Harley Davidson, and a Marlboro man of you, John. Remember, uh, dude, remember it's, I'm, I'm telling, I'm, I'm telling you. What's the story with your fucking boots, Harley? He's like, get off my boots. Uh, I'll tell you, I this is so funny. I love that movie so much. That's that a movie, great movie. That made that movie made me want to buy a, uh, or get a motorcycle, and I actually got a motorcycle. It was obviously not a bitch and fucking shackle down FXR like he wrote in that movie, but uh, it was a 1976 Honda 750 Super Sport that was sparkly root beer or, uh, with an orange stripe and was ugly. Uh, but that actually made me want to ride a motorcycle, so I do love that movie. I'm so very impressionable too. When it comes to movies. <laughs> oh, let's talk. I, I know Greg's a, Greg, you're a connoisseur of movies. What would you say uh, is, give us a, your top five favorite movies, if you can do it, if it's even at all possible. Comedy, yeah, everything. I don't know if it's possible, but I, I think I would have to say, well, let me give you the best sports movies first, because that will at least ease into the topic. It's got to be Vision Quest, Hoosiers, and Rocky. I mean, Rocky's kind of, a given, but Hoosier, Hoosiers and Vision Quest, I can watch those, I mean, weekly and still get pumped. Um, although, actually, one time I was on a plane going to Nationals, it was either last year or the year before, and I was watching Vision Quest on the iPad, and uh, the flight attendant kind of looks at me and he's like, what are you watching? I was like, Vision Quest. What's that? I was like, oh, it's this great movie about a wrestler and this and that. And so she leans over and looks down at the iPad and of course, it happened to be the scene where Madonna is singing on stage in the bar, and I was like, "Fuck!" Oh. This lady thinks I'm like watching an '80s Madonna movie right now. I'm just lying about it. <laughs> You're watching a Desperately Seeking Susan. I know yeah, I, yeah, exactly. Son of a bitch. Uh, I think probably the the when people ask me what my favorite movie is, I think I always come back to Requiem for a Dream. Um, as being just like one of the greatest movies ever made, just with regard to everything. I mean, like the the camera and editing work, the scoring of it, the acting, even the subject matter. I mean, it's a Hubert Selby book, and it, I mean, it's it's like the most disturbing, uh, depressing movie you'll ever see, but it's incredible. 
Yeah, I was gonna say uh, I saw that movie once, and uh, I was probably the, one of the more depressing movies I've ever seen in my life. So, uh, yeah, it was when you said that I was like, "Are we thinking of the same movie?" Because uh, <laughs> how did you go from Vision Quest like, to writing for a dream? I, well, I, I know for a fact I haven't been ready for a meet. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, fuck this meet. I'm just gonna go do a bunch of blow and kill myself. I have like I have my appreciation for film is only like one or two layers deep. Like clearly because I like. The Fast and Furious series. Uh, well, those are well. It's, it's not real. I mean, they're not really a series. They're uh, documentaries. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Series of documentaries. Yeah, the documentaries was... of the ability of the film industry to remake the same fucking lame movie seven times and still get all the money. Hey, Come on, and, best line and in the you movie. know what? They're gonna make three more of them. And here's the funny part. I'm gonna go see them all. I'm fucking, you know, hey, I am. There, there's a reason they keep making them, and it's not because they're stupid. <laughs> and like, and then the best is the last one we saw. We're like, oh my god, they flew. Uh, what was it? They parachuted those cars on the road, and we're like, oh my god. So we uh, we we asked Andy stuff about it. He's like, no, it's impossible. Yeah, Andy was on our last podcast, and you know he's well versed in that type of shit. And we're like, what are the odds you could parachute seven cars onto the same route and they all land in the same spot? And he's like. You guys are retarded. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I find it odd that you guys actually had to consult an expert on that. Well, I, I'm well, still to confirm his its veracity. Well, but but it, it was more like Andy was there, the opportunity was there, and <laughs> and you know Greg knows Andy, so uh, uh, anytime you can put Andy in a situation where he's gonna like give you the straight fucking play and then land a blow on you in the backside, you fucking have to go. So, yeah, that, that's fair. <laughs> so it was good. Um, all right, so what, my other question about using the Olympic movements for sport, uh, specific training, because, I mean, there, there's two types of people, like we said. There's obviously weightlifters, and there's, and there's people who like to Olympic weightlift. Um, you know, when we go on and we work with athletes, they always ask us, well, what about the Olympic movements? Do you, do you treat, teach them or do you use them? I'm like, yeah, I think they're great, but we don't necessarily teach full variances of lifts, and we always get this idea of, like, well, why not? Uh, you know, and I'm like, well, we squat twice a week, we pull heavy, we pull dynamic, and the way I look at the uh, Olympic movements is it's, you know, it's a, a form of dynamic pulling, um, and, you know, with as much squatting as we're doing, I, you know, don't need to do more because it takes away from the time that I get to work on all the other stuff. And well, that's now, exactly if, it right there. That's the key. You know, and, and if, if your goal is snatch, clean, and jerk, and, um, you know, and that's all I want to do, then you know what, then there's a, a, a definite mode for that. But if your goal is to increase athletic performance, then you know what, and you have a task, you know, task specific, uh, like, hey, I need to make you ready for play football or do anything else. Like, there's just, uh, there's so much to work on. I mean, mm -hmm. it's almost like this idea of like reverse engineering, where you know, you look at the demands of the game, and then you look at the individual, and you assess them, and then you figure out what's missing to get you where you have to go, and then we have to work on all this stuff. And if we focus on snatch cleanager exclusively. Um, you know, which is, you know, bilateral hip hinging and this kind of repetitive movement pattern in a sport that always has you on one leg and you can go through all these different stuff. But at the end of the day, I'm like, just fucking trust me. Just, <laughs> just fucking trust me, dude. Just just trust me. And I think so, people yeah. envision this utopia of, like, 16-year-old kids who just acquire Olympic weightlifting and make the lift super effective and potent training stimulus in a week. Like, oh, yeah. are you just, from coaching firsthand, people just don't, like, have no appreciation for being in a you know, 2,000 square foot facility with 30 high school kids and fucking eight barbells and like already it's a, it's a fucking recipe for disaster. You're outnumbered uh, 30 to one and it's just like if we can just get them to jump 
with a barbell. Make the pull dynamic. Yeah. We're starting to, you know, we're starting to breed a little bit of success with the time that we have. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, for us, uh, like I remember with the, the exact, I can remember the exact story Luke's talking about, like going in and just being like, hey, I'm going to teach you how to vertical jump with weight in your hand. It's called Olympic lifting. Mm-hmm. And like they were like trying to, like, I'm like, let's just, you know, like let's fucking pretend that we're not, you know, in fucking Bulgaria and Russia and I got a gun to your head that I'm going to fucking blow your brains out if you don't get this next lift. Like, let's fucking be realistic about what we're doing. And uh, I think the, th- the big thing, and I'm sure you run into this more than anybody, is uh, uh, people, one, aren't realistic about what they are, who they can do, and how it all fits. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've, uh, you know, seen some really gifted Olympic weightlifters, and when you do some basic testing, like, yeah, that guy just got, like, a fucking 40-inch standing vertical and you're like, you know what, that guy can pull the shit out of the bar. He's pretty explosive. And then you test somebody else that has like an 18-inch standing vertical. And you're like, yeah, uh, we're going to be able to make some inc- incremental pr- uh, improvement, but I don't really ever see you getting a chance to go to the Olympics. Have you ever considered jogging? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because that's like, you know, that's something like uh, that is pretty, uh, like, kind of blows my mind a little bit in, in Olympic weightlifting circles where there's, um, you know, in in the NFL, or more importantly in football, if you're not 6'5 and pretty big and strong and fast, there's a good chance you're probably not going to be able to get a chance to go play offensive line in the NFL. Like, Sorry, Tex. Yeah, like well, if you fucking run a 4'3", a, a 4'4", four, 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 uh, like as, you know, as fast as you can, rotate your upper body to catch a fucking football from a 50-yard dude throwing a bomb, there's a good chance you're not going to be playing receiver. And I think like enough people realize that, like – yeah, unless my dad or my brother or somebody in my lineage like was able to do this and I have a pretty good chance to be able to do this, I, I probably should give it. Whereas it seems like Olympic weightlifting, people are like, I'm going to go pick this thing up and in a couple, and you know, if I do this for a couple weeks, I'll be able to go compete in the fucking Olympics. Here's a perfect story to illustrate this point. Uh, we had, this was probably five years ago, we had a woman come in um, who must have been mid 50s. Um, considerably overweight, totally immobile, uh, 100% unathletic, and uh, I think her she was she was coming in for just some you know fitness stuff, right? And uh, she said, you know, I, I uh, went on YouTube last night and I I watched some videos of Olympic weightlifting, and I don't see why I couldn't go to the Olympics in that. Dead serious. And it's like, how do you even respond to that level of ignorance? Laughter? Well, well, well I mean, uh, no, is... I, I needed her money, but um, <laughs> well, but uh... but I think going back to John's point is that there the the biggest, and this is the thing that no one likes to hear, um, because it makes them feel bad about themselves and feel hopeless. But hey, that's life. Um, the the biggest thing in being a successful coach is recruiting the right fucking people. Um, you cannot, you know, what's the saying? You you can't make a racehorse out of a fucking jackass. Uh, you can't make chicken salad out of chicken shit. Like you have to have the right material to begin with. But the other part of that too, and which is what is sorely missing in weightlifting in this country especially, um, is the the proper timing. Um, of athlete development. In other words, you, okay, you you take gymnastics. Those kids are starting at five years old, six years old. And there's very regimented, systematic development, um, you know, across ten levels from compulsory to optional, blah blah blah. Um, whereas 
uh, you know, if you took a kid who wasn't necessarily incredibly athletically endowed, you know, his parents were librarians or, you know, whatever, all they, you know, they squatted on and off the couch and that's about it. Um, the, if you start that kid at 10 years old, um, learning technique when they're, they're most, um, uh, you know, they're, they're able to develop motor patterns the best. And then you move on to, you know, developing speed and explosiveness, you know, at, at ages, you know, 12 to 14. And then, you know, as they start reaching sexual maturity, you start introducing more, um, you know, strength training and all these different things. And you, you have this properly timed, um, you know, staged, systematic, long-term development. You can make that kid a pretty damn good weightlifter. Um, and what's happening here, uh, and, and which is the source of much frustration for both athletes and coaches, is that people are finding the sport at age 25, if we're lucky. Usually it's more like 30 or 35, um, at, at, you know, and with no athletic background or very limited athletic background in a completely unrelated activity, you know, like a, being a triathlete or something like that, that, you know, no mobility, no explosiveness, no strength, um, and then wondering why they can't win the national championships in one year of, of training. So do we have an idea of why? I mean, yeah, I mean, like I, like we, we just, um, actually, I think uh, uh, on Facebook I saw, and I can't remember the guy's website, it was like, um, uh, you know, some Olympic lifting guru guy, but he posted uh, that Russian dude, uh, what was it, cleaning and jerking like 200 and, it was like 555 pounds. Yeah, I just watched the video. Yeah, the other guy was in black. I mean, we literally watched it, and the dude literally cleaned it up. And like, dude, he, like, he, the bar hit, and literally the dude was standing up before the bar even landed on his shoulders. I mean, he stood up like it was fucking nothing. Well, I he's, mean, been, he's been squatting 500 pounds since he was 16. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, but but that's the thing. Like, people see that, and he makes it look so effortless. And I'm like, all right, so you have to remember like the the system that these guys grew up in. I'm like, and like. The, the more interesting part is, and, and somebody asked me this once, they said, you know, uh, uh, do you think that there's a correlation between athleticism and, and, you know, and Olympic weightlifting? Does it build athleticism? And I kind of like had to really kind of think about it a little bit. And I was like, you know, um, I've seen incredible athletes that were really good Olympic lifters. And I've seen Olympic lifters that were not great athletes that could Olympic lift, but I've never seen Olympic lifting turn a bad athlete into a good athlete. No, because you have to be a certain level of good yeah. to be successful in Olympic lifting, like any sport. I mean, you have to you have to have certain physical qualities inherently, uh, and that's that's the thing is is that's why these sports at the elite level self-select the proper athletes. Do you uh, think that uh, do do you think that uh, all of this is basically genetic, or do you think that there's a time window from like day one up until the age of three or four years old? That um, just you know is some form of athletic development that kids are missing. I mean, I I, I have a couple theories on this, but I, I think it's a combination of both for sure. I mean, you you, you take uh, I mean the classic example I'll always use is you know people who scoff at the idea of genetic predisposition to, to physical traits, which to me is just fucking mind-boggling. But uh, okay, so if Richard Simmons trained exactly like Schwarzenegger, same drugs and everything, you know, would they end up looking and performing the exact same, or you know Richard no. Simmons and Usain Bolt. The answer to anyone who's reasonably intelligent is no. Yeah. Um, there are genetic qualities, and, and in particular, um, 
the speed-related qualities are the big ones. Uh, speed and explosiveness, those are very much genetic. Sure. Um, strength can be developed to a much greater degree. Uh, mobility can be developed, especially if it started at a young age and preserved. I mean, every kid is mobile. Uh, that that really the issue is preserving that mobility, uh, you know, as the kid gets older. So, yeah, if if you if you intervene at the right age and you exploit those periods of time in a kid's development when they're uh, most apt to accelerate, it's just like learning a language, right? Uh, you know, a, a you know four to eight year old learns another language very easily and very quickly and can become fluent. Um, versus, you know, a 40-year-old over the same period of time is still going to sound like a dumbass trying to speak that language. Uh, it, it, you know, the, the body is just, um, uh, I keep not being able to find the right word I want, but, you're, you know, you're capable of developing certain traits optimally at different stages of your physical development. And so that's what a sport like gymnastics exploits, which is more successful in this country because there's opportunities, uh, versus weightlifting, where in these these successful countries they they are able to take advantage of that systematic long-term development. So by the time, you know, uh, you know, when a, a 26 to 28 year old weightlifter is at the world championships, they've already been training for 10 to 15 years. Versus we have that same age weightlifter, they might have been training for three to five years. And so the, the fact that we're behind shouldn't really be that surprising. So do you think that the, the uh, I guess, surge of popularity uh, long term will help or will create the opportunity to start well, developing not kids? Not this generation. What it's going to do is all these... Uh, these fucking Johnny Come Lately kind of Olympic weightlifters that Greg caters to, you know, these guys that's like 40 years old that want to be an Olympic weightlifter, these fuckers happen to have that's kids. What I'm so now that's, they're yeah, exactly. they're going to see their missed opportunity. And then we'll, we'll create and that 10 to 12 create, phase. Yeah. So, so it's going to be actually one or two generations. So later. America's coming back. Yo, uh, I do. I've said this, I, and, and Greg, you might scoff at this, but I, I, I do. I fucking firmly believe, and we've said this in seminar after seminar, that all of a sudden, like 20 years from now, we're going to have a whole fucking resurgence in the Olympics or all these like fucking high-dominant athletes in all these kind of obscure sports. And uh, people are going to be like, talk, like, wow, how did you get in this? Like, you know, my mom and dad went to this gym, and they fucking kind of put me in the corner, and I got up kind of doing this stuff. And I just kind of grew into it. I, I, you know, I was kind of raised in this environment. And um, it's kind of – I'm glad that it's happening in that way because it's exactly what happens uh, – and people always ask me, well, how come all these NFL players have NFL uh, kids that play in the NFL? And I'm like, well, because when you go to the training facility, uh, guys on you know on off days or on like you know certain days or after games, whatever, they bring their kids in the locker room. Like kids are at practice during training camp, and like those little kids whose dad who sees their dad out there playing is around it, and they grow up in it, and they see the importance. Their dad takes them to the gym, and they do all these things, opposed from the dad who was a an accountant or a fucking dentist, but like. If your whole life is an NFL player and you have your little mini-me with you at all times, he eats every meal. I remember uh, Dave Diaz-Infante's little boy would come all the time, and I remember uh, uh, like he was like, hey, Dad, when are we going to get our protein shake? And he's like, make sure you put the creatine in there. Yeah. And like his little boy was like five or six, and he was like, no, we take our protein shakes. We have to. we got to get ready. And like his whole mindset was like moving that, and then all of a sudden these kids grow up and they've been indoctrinated into it. They've been uh, uh, you know, exposed to it. For so many years that it just becomes second nature, and this is what we do. Whereas um, 
you know, for a lot of people, and especially now with the, you know, now there's fucking 10 to 12, 13,000 CrossFit gyms where people have barbells, dump, bumpers, and all this. I mean, it's just giving, uh, you know, it's creating places. And, and as I've gone and done more and more research on athletic development for kids, um, the, the one thing that is universally true is opportunity. If you that provide an opportunity to your kids to do something at a young age, they it will to be exploit it. Like, um, yeah. uh, so my, my little girls, I have twin girls, uh, they've been doing gymnastics since they were about two and a half or three, and my one daughter's pretty tall and lanky, not nearly as uh, coordinated as my other daughter. My other daughter is in like the hyper group. They like basically separated them, and they're like, well, she has a chance. Uh, she should just be having fun here. And they literally separated them even before they were four years old, so now they're in two different classes. But uh, for the fourth birthday, I got them bicycles. So they've been on balance bikes, and so we're out there riding the bikes, and our neighbor kids come down, and he's the same age, the brother. And then he has a little brother who's like two. And the little, the little two-year-old brother is so good on his fucking little scooter razor. It's crazy how good the kid is. And I was, like, watching him tear it up the other day. And the mom's like, yeah, I don't know why he's so good. You know, uh, his brother wasn't as good. And I was like, well, when did you buy him a, a scooter? She's like, well, I got him for him when he was like three, and I was like, um, is that his brother's scooter? She's like, yeah, that was that was the one that uh, he grew out of. So we just had it around, and he just jumped on it. Yeah. And I was like, it's opportunity. You provided opportunity by just having the scooter there, and now the little brother sees sees his older brother doing it, and the kid's fucking tearing it up. Well, like, it, yeah, that's all it is. It's just opportunity. Yeah. Well, it, it's it's both. It's exposure first, and opportunity second, and that's why we have great football players and great basketball players and great baseball players is because you have uh, from day one of a kid's life, they're exposed to these sports. That is what we do. You know, um, you know, when I was a kid, I, you know, my dad watched baseball, he played baseball, he, you know, he played hockey in college, you know, he played all these different things. That's what we're familiar with. And then you, you know, so you, you're familiar with the sport, you have people that you look up to, these other athletes, coaches, whoever, but then you have opportunity to participate, you know, through club sports, through school sports, they're everywhere. Uh, I mean, it's it's hard not to play baseball or soccer or football, uh, you know, as, as a boy growing up in this country. With weightlifting, what we're now seeing uh, is increased exposure. So like you said, this this new generation of kids seeing their parents do it, their older siblings do it, but then increased opportunity too. There are more and more facilities now that have uh, provided the opportunity to snatch and clean and jerk. And so you have to have both of those things um, to take this obscure, impoverished sport and make it um, uh, something that's familiar but also viable. You, you have to be able to provide opportunities for kids to continue long term. There have to be you know, you know potential college scholarship opportunities and all these things like that because right now it is 100% a convenient sport. A kid may get into it in high school, but you know what? Their parents don't give a shit about weightlifting. Their parents want them uh, to pay for their own college. So if they can get a football scholarship, not even being a particularly good football player, they're going to jump on that, and weightlifting is going to fall by the wayside, even if they could have been a tremendous weightlifter and only a mediocre football player because that's the opportunities that are present. So, uh, Greg, there was uh, one of my teammates in, in uh, at the, the Chiefs, getting Boomer Grigsby, was um, Boomer's probably about – He's probably close to six feet, probably about 225, 230 pounds. Ran like a 4640 at like a, I think he was over like a 34 inch vert. But we were in the weight room lifting, and uh, I watched him basically muscle clean uh, 405 with uh, metal plates. And he kind of did this like little bastard push press, and then brought it back down and set it back on the ground, and like looked over and was like, "Hey, that's pretty. Was that okay? Was that pretty good clean?" 
And I remember like looking at him and I was like, yeah, that was pretty good. I mean, literally like slight bend in the knee, just basically just fucking horsed it up and like push pressed it. Yeah. And I like remember going back and like Boomer, I think he would have won the American Open uh, <laughs> with that lift. Um, Absolutely. I mean, like so like there, there's a guy like that, and then he actually came to our seminar. And uh, probably one of the, the fucking best moments of our life was we were at, we, we were teaching a seminar. Boomer was like, you know, just kind of out of the NFL, came in, and he wanted to, like, hang out a little bit. So he's at the seminar, and, like, all of a sudden we, we cut for break, and there's a set of rings. And he, like, kind of looks up at the rings, and he fucking <laughs> jumps up on the rings and, like, proceeds to do this fucking ring routine. And, like, all the people in the gym just, like, stop, you know, because, like, the rings are, like, this final level you've reached. The final fucking, level of athleticism. Well, it's, it's, it's going to do. You're like, ah, like, oh, my God. He literally fucking busts out this ring routine, goes to, like, an iron cross and does, like, a backflip and fucking lands it. And, like, the people are, like, coming over and, like, hugging him with tears. And he's like, uh, what's going on? And, he, and I was like, dude, I was <laughs> oh, like... I've never was, seen these before. These are kind right? Of and, and, and he was like... And then somebody was like, dude, like, where? And he's like, yeah, my mom owned a gymnastics studio when I was a kid. And I used to go there to hit on the chicks. And I was a national-level <laughs> trampoline gymnast. And I used to fuck around on the rings a little bit. But then I got into playing football and, uh, you know, went and had a scholarship and played in the NFL. I mean, literally, dude. And I was like, I was like, Boomer, you're... I'd be pretty good at this CrossFit thing. He's like, yeah, those people are kind of weird. He's like, you know, they wanted to hug me after I got up on the rings. I don't want any fucking part of that. But I mean, case in point, here's a dude who uh, like just had opportunity because his mom owned a gymnastics studio, uh, got into weightlifting. I mean, all these other things. And I mean, like, I, and I even told him, like, Boom, have you ever thought about doing Olympic weightlifting? He's like, oh, not really. I'm like, because uh, what you did there, that was pretty fucking impressive. And he's like, oh, right, yeah, huh, maybe. But I mean, like, there, there, there's, there's genetic freaks out there walking around. The problem is they're just not doing the Olympic weight. They're training. the NFL. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, dude, I, I, I dude, I, I tell the story about uh, one of the guys I played with. I watched him fucking rep like, like 555 for like, I think it was a set of eight on the bench. Like it was fucking nothing. It took like four seconds. He was like, bam, 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 and then his point, and then he like kind of like stood up, and he was like. Huh. He's like, oh, I, I really haven't lifted weights in six months. I'm kind of surprised I was able to do that. And I was like, this <laughs> motherfucker. I was like, just like, and, and that's where I think like the the internet um, has no fucking concept of like the strength and size and athleticism of people because there's no way for them like they, they see it on TV and they get on there and they try to like relate themselves to it. And I'm like, dude, I played with guys that were so big and strong that, like, I, I firmly believe that they could have, like, you know, if you were driving your car, you might not win that fucking battle. And then, like, you know, and, and you know, and then I, I played with these dudes, and, like, they always asked me, like, I'm like, dude, I was a smaller athletic guy. I was, like, a technique dude who was, like, fucking out there winning. And uh, they were like, really? I'm like, yeah, I'm not fucking, and I think they think I'm fucking with them. But I'm like, you know, a lot of these, you know, and the, the internet has given rise to like you know just a whole bunch of people that just don't fucking know because one they never did it they never trained anybody to do it and they think they know about it so they can they, all they need is a URL and like at the end of the day I'm like dude like the best you know your fucking secret squirrel program of unilateral this and all this other bullshit it doesn't fucking matter because you can take somebody and, and give them your program train them personally do it monitor every macronutrient do to all these other things. And they won't get a, a sniff compared to the kid who's never fucking done this, who's at home eating Pop-Tarts and Cheetos, who just happens to fucking grow and stand there and all of a sudden fucking explode. I'm like, dude, there's just some severe discrepancies in terms of athletic ability and just like all in all ability to do these sports. Well, and I and think that's, like that's the hard part with this. Yeah, I mean, the, the related problem to that is uh, the, the 
ability of people to go on the internet, watch these videos of these, you know, crazy uh, athletic feats, and it was specific to weightlifting, these huge lifts or these kind of obscure lift variations. Um, people get these ideas in their head like, well, hey, this guy clean and jerks 245, so if I want to clean and jerk 245, I need to train like he does. Not understanding the fact that that guy trains this way now, but he sure as shit didn't do it when he started 10 or 15 years ago. Uh, and, you know, and there is a very clear, you know, logical progression. And so these, these, these people with zero experience, zero foundation and just general athletic ability um, are trying to train like elite weightlifters without building that foundation that even makes that possible. So, you know, irrespective of their genetic predisposition, they're completely jumping the gun and going at it totally backwards. And it's completely counter. It's not even not going to work very well. It's actually counterproductive. It's holding them back from what they could potentially be doing. And we watch guys all the time with the, uh, like the conjugate method, for example. And I see beginners doing all these variations of the lift. And I'm like, dude, why don't you just learn to fucking back squat? Like, why don't we just keep this fucking basic and like let me you know and, and I, even our amateur template the one that we use which pretty much every single person that walks through the door no matter who comes and finds us it's five basic lifts you're gonna squat you're gonna press you're gonna deadlift you're gonna power clean you're gonna bench press and then once you get really good with those five movements we might add some variations once you get like it, it, it just blows my mind that I think like people go and like a beginner will go and find the most fucking complex most deep like uh, fucking craziest programs and they'll look and they'll be like, oh, that's the one that's going to get me. And I'm like, that's so fucking backwards thinking. I would think, like, I'm a beginner. Let me find the most basic shit. And as I get a little bit better, I might need – I mean, but it's – it's. I, I, I think it all comes back the, to this. The beginner basic programs are not glamorous. No, they're not sexy. Oh, yeah. Greg, it sounds like – I mean, it sound, you've been – Pretty insightful like on all this everyone. shit. Do you like where? Let's say I am a beginner and I want to learn how to Olympic lift. Do you have any online resources I could go check out, or what's yeah, is up? There anywhere that you could send us that maybe there was something called the beginner program? Man, I wish I knew of somewhere where you could get free, easily accessible information in enormous quantities on Olympic weightlifting. Almost like drinking out of a fire hose. Yeah, <laughs> uh, somewhat <laughs> less painful and potentially deadly. Uh, yeah, CatalystAthletics.com. We have uh, tons of free articles, videos, all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, we also have a bunch of books, um, these things that people used to use to get information in large quantities in well-organized fashion. Actually, um, looking at your Olympic weightlifting book right on my desk right now. I'm looking I'll, at I'll it. Ha I'll have something to send you in a couple months to update that, but... Um, yeah, and and that book is basically the the most organized, you know, start to finish, progressive um, teaching tool out there that I'm aware of. Which is the whole purpose I created it in the first place is because it was it was the tool that I desperately wanted as a misguided young man um, when I wanted to learn the lifts and didn't have access to a coach. Um, and I think that's really why it's done so well since it came out in 2008. Um, and I mean, it's completely dominated the market as small as it is, um, because it, it was a, a huge gap in, in what was available. No, that's, that's great, man. Uh, I mean, we're pretty far over the hour that we were supposed to be chatting, but it's been a great conversation, Greg. And, uh, 
uh, a lot of good information for our for our listeners because I know a lot of them do book and bang some weights. So, uh, anything else you want to leave us with? You got any events coming up or anything you want anyone to check out? Uh, well, we'll be uh, we'll be posting our 2016 seminar and certification schedule here pretty soon. Um, we we do actually offer coaching certification now, um, and people who are um, NSCA and NASM and, and soon to be ACSM certified can get CEUs for that stuff. So you can check that out. Uh, we're, we're always putting out new stuff. We got a couple big projects coming out soon that uh, I'll remain vague about, but just keep going to catalystathletics.com every single day and you won't miss anything important. Or just sign up for the newsletter, right? Yeah, you could do that too. Awesome. All right, Greg, anybody got anything else for, uh, for Greg? No, I think that's great. Thank you, Greg. I really appreciate you taking the time to wrap with us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Thanks a lot, Greg. All right, John, I'll talk to you in that text thread soon. I'll see you. See you, <laughs> Thanks, bro. Love <laughs> you guys. Bye. Bye. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Find out more about Greg Everett and Catalyst Athletics by visiting the website, www.catalystathletics.com. There's a ton of knowledge available in the form of articles, publications for purchase, and seminar training. Don't forget to find Catalyst Athletics on Instagram and Facebook as well. Until next time, bye!